with us before. I'm so happy to have him. He's uh, been with me for about a month now. I've been getting to know this young man. He's a great young man. Um, uh, he's been with me when my daughter's been gone. He's been with me when she's here and his spirits get up. I believe Pastor picked the right day because she's here and I know his spirits are up. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. So without further ado, Brother Austin, come take your memory. Amen. We're glad to have you. Praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Lord, amen. I don't want to give honor to Pastor Phil. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Uh, thanks to Dad for opening up your home for undecided date. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to leave. Um, Ariel Renee, most beautiful girl in the world. She's so sweet and so precious. Made me breakfast this morning, so I'm doing good. You guys can be seated. I don't want to take too much time. Oh, thank you, Mom, too, for taking care of me. Um, I don't want to take too much time, uh, but I do feel I have a word um, from God. Uh, was I don't know when it was a couple weeks ago, maybe last week. All my days are kind of just clumped together right now, but uh, I felt a word in my spirit, you know. But you know, Pastor Phil hadn't, hadn't asked me to preach yet, so it's kind of one of those things. Where I was like, oh, well, come and see what happens. Uh, I felt a word in my spirit, and then last Sunday he came to me and told me uh, he wanted me to preach this Sunday. So I felt, you know, of course I already had the word, so I felt confirmation of the Holy Ghost. I'm like, all right, let's, let's do this. Let's God have his way. And so I want to give a word to you. I'm, I'm typically more of a, a theological um, mind. I like to break down scriptures. I like to find uh, new concepts. Not new, but things that have been there that I haven't seen before. Uh, but this one is not necessarily a theological message. Uh, there's there's a message that you can preach to the mind that will affect the heart and there's a message that will preach, that'll preach to the heart and it will affect the mind um, This message is more of a message to the heart. It's it's not something that's going to take very much uh, Intellectualism to understand but it's something that Without without it the church cannot grow. It cannot succeed at winning and reaching the lost so I want to turn to Genesis chapter 18, verse, uh, we'll start at verse 20, and sorry for the lengthy reading, but it's necessary, we'll go to verse 33, uh, so from 20 to 33 in Genesis chapter 18. And there's one more, actually two more verses in Luke chapter 22, I forgot to give, um, and they're verse, Luke 22, 31 and 32. Uh, but we'll read those after this. Genesis chapter 18, verse 20 says, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me. And if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure, there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked. And what 
and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty-five, I will not destroy. And he spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, O oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall be thirty be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, O oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure, peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. The Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. I'll just read it real quick. It says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith shall fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. It's a simple message I want to talk about. I simply want to talk about a little bit about prayer today. But it's it's a little bit of a, um, it's not a new way of looking at it, but it's a different way of looking at it. It's not prayer in the sense of communing with God, but prayer in the sense of reaching for your brothers and your sisters. We find here that Abraham was was communing with God. We, we find before this, if you read the beginning of chapter 18, you find that Abraham walked up or was out walking and sitting under a tree and he saw three men walking up and two of them were angels and one of them was God. He did not know it at the time, but he began to prepare a meal for who was Yahweh of the Old Testament. He prepared this meal for him and during that meal when he was preparing it, he found out that it was actually the Lord that he was about to feed. And when this was happening, the Lord said, I have to go my way to Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's interesting because in the scripture, when you read it, you never find that God said he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Before this, he never told Abraham I was going to go down there and destroy it. And as they were talking in these passages I just read you, you find that he says, I'm going to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham looks at him and says, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Uh, there's, there's no recording in Scripture that God told Abraham that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But Abraham, communing with God and knowing God, had this, uh, I guess we would call it, he was in tune with God. And he had this understanding that if God was going down to a place so wicked as Sodom and Gomorrah, he was going down with a purpose. And it's interesting here on during tour, I was reading this passage of Scripture uh, over the summertime, and I began to see this, this principle in Scripture, and it's something that's still uh, widely debated amongst the church. And it, it's found in the statement, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Uh, the, the debate in the church is, is God coming after the tribulation or before the tribulation? Well, we find here that Abraham and God stated himself, it's not in his righteousness to destroy the good with the wicked. So leave that there. But Abraham is communing with God. You see this communing with him. And, 
And he begins to ask him, God, are you going to destroy them with the wicked? And there's 50, and there's 45, and there's 30, and there's 20, and there's 10. And, if you, and he keeps working his way down, and you find Abraham finally getting down to 10. He said, I'm going to ask just one more time if there's just 10 righteous people. And God said, for 10 people, I'm not going to do it. And another thing we have to take note of that God never asked Abraham to stop. Abraham decided to stop at 10 people. Thank you, Lord Jesus. God's grace and his mercy is sufficient. Amen. He has enough grace and he has enough mercy to supply all of Sodom and Gomorrah with grace and mercy. And I'm not condemning Abraham, but we find Abraham stopping at 10. What if he asked for two? What if he asked for one? I'm under the assumption that Lot, even himself, was not righteous. But in this, in this communing with Abraham, and in, between God and Abraham, you, you find that Abraham doesn't even ask to save his own family. He just asks if there's ten righteous people. And he doesn't say, oh God, if there's not ten righteous, will you at least spare my family? Again, Scripture is not recorded, but I'm leave me under the assumption that God spared Abraham's family because of the righteousness Abraham had. Your righteousness, the Bible, I don't want to theologically break it down right now, but it talks about when you're under the umbrella of a family of a righteous spouse. You're sanctified by your, your spouse's holiness and righteousness. We don't want to go into it because I'm not, they don't have the time. But the Bible begins to talk about that. We find that Abraham was righteous and Lot was probably not righteous living in really terrible times. Las Vegas probably had nothing, nothing on Sodom and Gomorrah. We find Abraham praying that God, if there's just 10 righteous people there, and he says, there's, there's probably not going to be 10 righteous people, and my family's there, they're probably going to die, and God said, I'm still going to save them. I'm over here communing with you right now. But right now, two angels are walking to Lot's house, and he's going to bring them out of the city. You're not even asking for your own family, but my grace and my mercy is sufficient, and I'm going to bring your family out. So we find that in the scripture. Abraham is, is an interesting person because he had, and I'm trying to, I try to wrap my mind around it because I grew up in church, so I try to wrap my mind around it. Abraham grew up in a pagan nation, and then by the, by the word of an invisible God, he left the pagan nation to serve this God. Now his family's at risk, and yet he's pleading with an all merciful God. He's not trying to blame God. God, you have the power to not destroy the city, so why would you choose to destroy it? Abraham could have blamed God, but yet in Abraham's righteousness and character, he understood. He had a heartbeat after God. We find in Luke chapter 22 that I read, read the passage. It's, it's something that I think we as Christians have taken lightly. I personally have taken it lightly. And it says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. We talk about being Christ-like, and we'll connect it to the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit. And while that is true, we need to have the fruits of the Spirit. Jesus knew his identity. He knew that he was God manifest in the flesh. 
He had the power to stop Satan from sifting Peter. And he chose not to. But rather what he chose to do was pray that his faith fail not. God that created the world could stop the devil from even coming near, anywhere near Peter. But he chooses not to stop him. What he chooses to do is says, I have faith in prayer and I'm going to pray that, my, that your faith will fail not. John or James chapter 5 verse 16 confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed we like to quote the end of that passage but we never like to quote the first part of it the end of it is very popular the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you, that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There cannot be pride in someone's heart in confessing your faults one to another. They talk about a status of a righteous man. That kind of prayer will avail much. What makes you righteous? What's the one thing that the scripture says that God resists? The proud. You're probably, you're definitely not righteous if you're a prideful person. And if you're too prideful to confess your faults one to another and be vulnerable with your own brothers and sisters in Christ, you're probably not righteous. I'm under the assumption, and I, I can't prove it to you, it's just my own personal belief, but says pray for one another that ye may be healed. I don't believe it's talking about a physical healing, although I do believe it applies. I do believe it's talking about an emotional healing there. Again, confess your faults one to another. In this, you cannot have pride. Then he says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You have to be righteous, and your prayer has to be effectual and fervent. We find this in the Old Testament, that this principle still applied back then. It says... If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal, heal their land. What is the status of a man that enters in before God to seek his face? What does he have to be? He has to be humble. If my people which are called by my name shall first humble themselves. It is the prerequisite to everything to be humble. You cannot approach the throne of God with pride. You first must be humble. But there's an interesting connection between humility and your brothers and sisters in Christ. How can you love God whom you've not seen and yet not love your brother whom you have seen? Humility with God requires humility with those around you in the body of Christ. If you are going to assume a status of humility, you must be vulnerable with the people beside you on the pew. One of my friends talked about it in a podcast. He talked about this uh, persona that uh, social media and Christendom have put on, and it's a, uh, it's a persona of perfection. We, we assume perfection because the way people look on social media and their Christianity. We don't see their day-to-day -day actions. We don't see their faults. We don't see their attitudes. We don't see 
You know, these things coming up in their spirit that are not Christ-like. We just see the perfection. And in this, we assume and we compare ourselves to their social media profile. We see that they're perfect and we're not. And we now we start holding ourselves to a low self-esteem. And now we can't become vulnerable with them because they're perfect. And if I tell them how I am in my humanity, then they'll judge me. And we have created this, this imbalance in the church that we assume perfection, but in reality, all of us are sinners far from perfection. What, what, what can we do to fix this? Well, there's nothing really we can do to fix this. Well, we can really just read the Bible and know that we're sinners. Every single one of you is sinners. The ministry is just as much of sinners as your sinners. I'm just as much a sinner as any person on the street. I am nowhere, anywhere near perfect than the person the farthest from God. Paul, I would assume, in my opinion, is one of the greatest apostles, wrote most of the New Testament. He said, I am the chief among sinners. If any of you have been up behind a pulpit or taught a Bible study or anything, saying, you'll understand that every time you get up here, there's this overwhelming uh, knowledge that I really don't, or I really am not worthy to be up here. Come on, amen. Every single time I step to a amen. pulpit, it's an overwhelming knowledge that, wow, I should not be up here. That's good, amen. And you begin to, in my, my, first, my first reaction as a human is to look at somebody else and see, they're a really good person. They're behind the pulpit and I'm nothing like them. But I'm not supposed to be like them. Yeah. Another thing my friend said in this podcast is one of my, one of, right now one of my favorite quotes is, we're not called to perfection, we're called to weakness. We assume we need to have strength in and of ourselves, but God said, I'm calling you to weakness so my strength can be made perfect in your weakness. So if you understand that I'm weak and I understand that you're weak, and if you're ministering to me, it must be, it must be that the Spirit is ministering through your weakness to me and not you to me. Because you in and of yourself can't minister to me. So what does this mean with the, with the verses I read you? In and of yourselves, your prayers cannot do anything. It's only by the leading of the Spirit. There's this uh, shaking story that was, I read in a book, it's called Why Revival Terries by Leonard Ravenhill. A very convicting book. If you feel like you uh, need some conviction in your life, I encourage you to read it. Amen. Uh, it'll, it'll, it'll kill you. It really will. Um, but there's a story that I read in there, and it, it, it shook me. And when I read it, I, 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 still, I still remember the story to this day. It was a story of uh, the Salvation Army, not like the thrift store Salvation Army, but back in the day when it was like they were focused on preaching the gospel type of thing. Um, they went out, there's two men, I believe, they went to some city in Southern California, they went out to preach the gospel and to start a church, and they, they could not, and they just tried everything, every, every method, everything they could think of trying, they tried, and they failed, and they wrote to the general of the Salvation Army, and they said, can you please take us out of this location, everything we've tried has failed. And this man, of course, read this letter, the General of the Salvation Army, read this letter, and he didn't take them out of that location, but he wrote back to them a simple two-word response. A few days later, they get, the, they get the letter from the General of the Salvation Army, and they open it up expecting for him to say, okay, you can leave, or hey, you should switch to this city, or hey, you should try this. 
They didn't get any of that. What they got is a simple two-word response. Try tears. Try tears. We in the church have focused on perfecting our methods and outreach. We have focused on ways to glamorize our invitation card so it looks like we have an inviting church so that people will come. And while that is a good thing, I encourage you to keep doing it. Methodology never won a soul. Simon, Simon, I have prayed for you that your faith will fail you not. It was in prayer that Simon received the strength from somebody else that his faith wouldn't fail. I fear that we've lost people in the church. Yes, because they made a choice to leave and walk away from God. But I fear we have lost people in the church because we have ceased to pray for one another. We have ceased to care about the other person's status in God as much as we care about our own. While, the, while we as humans want to lift ourselves up and we want to be seen by others, the Bible commands, it doesn't suggest it commands that we esteem our brothers higher than ourselves. And where will you find your spirit and where will you find your mindset about your brother? You'll find it in prayer. If you find yourself praying about you, yourself, and I more than you find yourself praying for anybody else, your mindset is probably focused on yourself. This is one of the things that I had to get taken out of me. And still was getting taken out of me. As I was at CLC, I, was, I began to pray and I began to pray, God, teach me how to love people. And when I began to pray that prayer, he taught me how to change my prayer. He, he started shifting my prayer to start praying for the people more than I pray for myself. And in this time at CLC, and again, I'm still working on this. I'm still a human. I'm, I'm, I'm a sinful man. I want to pray for myself. I want to pray blessings on myself. I want to pray for my family to be saved. But it's hard for me to rejoice when your family walks in the door. It, it, it's something in the spirit. It, it's condition of the heart and not the hand. So it, it's an issue we have in the church with pride because, well, we can focus on the sins of our hand. We, we're doing this, uh, this abominable sin towards God. We can fix it. It's a sin of our hand. But when it's in our heart and no one sees it, it's e easy to store there. If no one sees it, then I'm okay. I can keep doing what I'm doing. Why am I preaching this? Because if you're not a righteous person, your prayer will not affect anything. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I encourage you to try tears. I encourage you to pray that God will take you deeper in intercession. I encourage you to do all this stuff, but if you cannot find yourself righteous, you will not find yourself effective in the kingdom of God. Jesus himself took it so seriously that he said that they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. I told you I don't want to be long, and I'm actually closing. Uh, if the pianist wants to come up. On tour, I went under a little night of conviction. We, me and it was five of us, there was three girls and two guys, and me and the young man stayed at the church. Uh, it was in Idaho, and we stayed at the church. And the uh, the city we were in was predominantly Mormon. Uh, I mean, like they controlled everything. Like the the pastor's wife lost her job because she was not a Mormon. 
because the business was controlled by a woman. And I had went under some conviction because I realized how much I wasn't praying. Yet again, I was praying for myself, but I realized how much I wasn't praying for the people around me in this city. I think it was 98% Mormon. I think it was the city that was 98% Mormon dealing with all this stuff. I found myself praying for myself. And God convicted me. I was it was late at night. I'm, I, I like to stay up late at night. I do kind of like my devotion and stuff. Then I think and meditate. Then I was uh, just kind of sitting at the altar with my back against the altar, just sitting there, just taking and praying, listening to music in the background. And God had reminded me of this young man that was once in my church, talented young man. Uh, and it just so happens this guy used to be in my church, uh, but he he ended up backsliding. Wonderful voice, saying I mean he sang really well, but. I went to work when I was 16 years old. I was homeschooled, so I was able to work in the daytime. Uh, I'm like a normal high schooler. So I went to work, and I work, actually ended up working with him at Panera Bread. I was 16 years old, ended up working with him, and we would sit um, on breaks, and it was interesting. I don't believe in coincidence, but we would sit on breaks, and it would always just so happen to be that me and this young man would take a break at the same time. And when I say young man, he was older than me, like a good 10 years older than me. Um, but I was, he was about 30 and I was about 16, and between 16 and 18. We would sit on breaks and we'd begin to talk about the things of God. We would talk about church. And he would talk to me as if he was still going to church. And it spoke volumes to me because I, I realized that he had a desire to go back to church. And I couldn't get to the bottom of why he wasn't coming back. Uh, and eventually he opened up to me and told me about uh, this other guy. And while this other guy was right... He hurt this guy. Uh, and then he said that if you try to use your voice and you try to use your God-given talent outside of the church, God will not let you succeed. And I tell you, this guy has a voice. He, he's a country singer, but he has a voice that is just as good, if not better, than any country singer I've ever heard. And he could not get a break. He tried out for American Idol, America's Got Talent, all this stuff, and then he couldn't get past the first round. And again, while this, this guy in the church told him this, while he was right, this young man got offended and left the church and kept staying away from church because this other guy was still going to church. And again, I'm not, I'm not justifying that. That's not a reason to stay away from church because your brother offended you. What I'm saying is, maybe, just maybe, the prodigals in our lives and in our churches aren't coming back, not because they don't want to be back home, but because they're afraid, well, afraid of what you might say when they come back through the doors. They, they, might, they might not be afraid for God to smite them. They, not, they might not feel unworthy. They might want to come in and accept the love and the grace and the mercy that God has to offer. But when they come in, are they accepting or feeling that they're going to accept the grace and mercy from you? But the preacher once said, you can sing with sin, you can sing with pride, you can preach with pride, you can preach with sin, you can sing in the choir, you can be an usher. You can do all this stuff. But the one thing you cannot do in pride and you cannot do in sin is you cannot pray. When you go to prayer, you will feel convicted. The reason why we as humans avoid prayer is because we want to avoid conviction. We are content in the state that we're in. And if we go to prayer, we'll find ourselves in conviction. And this preacher was, was saying this, and 
I begin to self-reflect and wonder why I can let myself get so prideful. Why can I so be sometimes be so focused on being right instead of reaching my brother's hurt? The church is hurting for some prayer warriors. The church is hurting for people that aren't seeking position, but they'll seek a prayer room. They'll seek after a, a time in prayer that they can go in and they can speak about their brother or their sister or their co-worker or their grandma and grandpa who never got saved. We perfect our methodology. We'll practice what to say when we knock on somebody's door, but we spend 10 minutes, maybe a day, praying for the lost ones in our life. But yes, while I believe we should prepare for a message to preach, yes, I believe that. Sometimes, me as a preacher, I'll prepare longer for a message than I will preparing my spirit and asking God to repair somebody else's spirit to hear the word of God. Studying for intellectualism and studying to be in the spirit of God are two different things. I can perfect a sermon in studying, but I cannot perfect my spirit in studying. Somebody asked me one time, because I tried to prepare for hours before a message one time, and God was just putting a block up, and I couldn't put together what I was trying, trying to put together. I had a certain thought and it was a good concept, but I couldn't quite put it together. And, and he told me, he's like, God, God told me in prayer, he said, you have the concept down, but your spirit is not right. Pray to prepare your spirit, not to prepare the message. Pray that your spirit would be right so that in prayer, your righteousness will show forth to God. And in your fervent prayer, you'll be effective. to our feet. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. While I was in the church in Idaho, uh, God began to convict me. I was still sitting there, and I remember that my mom babysat. There was, there was two young girls and a young boy that my mom babysat uh, since I was growing up. There was, my mom had them in her, in her house, and they were two weeks old, so literally like my brothers and my sisters. Uh, but they were not church, and God reminded me, he said, when's the last time? The young man I worked with I was in Marcus Howell. He said, when's the last time you prayed for Marcus Howell? And when's the last time you prayed for Grace, Greta, and Greg? And I, I remember I was there and I was praying for my message that next morning. And I was preaching and God reminded me, have you prayed for anybody lately? Have you sought for somebody else's salvation? Have you prayed for somebody else's blessing? And I began to remember and reflect and I couldn't remember the last time that I prayed for Marcus. So I prayed for him. And I was under a lot of conviction, so I didn't honestly say that much. I didn't really know what to say. I was at a loss of words. I was like, man, I haven't prayed for so long that I don't even know where to start. So I just prayed very simple prayers to the mark of God touch one. God sent angels to his home. Sent peace, but God sent conviction as well. God, I pray that you would reach out to Marcus, draw, send a tug on his heart, God, to come back to church. He wants to be a God touch Marcus. He needs salvation. God, you still have a plan. It's like God touch Marcus. Yeah. A week went by, and I honestly completely forgot that I prayed for him. I got a text the next Sunday morning that Marcus came back to church. His wife got baptized, and his two sons got baptized. 
simple, oh, like three-minute prayer, simple three-minute prayer. All this time I spent with him at a table up in there, right on break, talking to him, saying, Marcus, why don't you come back? He didn't come back not once, but one three-minute prayer, and I hadn't seen him or talked to him in years. One three-minute prayer, and his whole family got back. Pastor, nothing's working. We're trying everything. They won't come to church. They, they won't even consider coming to church. They won't even talk to me about the gospel. Why don't you try tears? Why don't you pray that God will fix your spirit? If it needs to be fixed, pray that God will fix your spirit and make it righteous. And when you feel that you're in a place, start praying some effectual, fervent prayers. Why don't you try some tears? God, they're so far gone. They're strung out on drugs. God, they're drunkards. God, they're, they're addicted to sexuality. God, they're addicted to all this stuff. They're so far gone. I don't even know what to do. Why don't you try some tears? We focus so much sometimes on the mind of a Christian, but we forget that God created emotions as well. As well. We forget that God Himself has emotions. God Himself will get jealous when we're focusing on somebody else and other things more than Him. Why don't you let God use your emotions? Why don't you let God touch your emotions? Shape them to what His emotions are and let Him pray through you. Why don't you try some tears? It doesn't seem logical. It doesn't doesn't really ring a bell in your mind of why this should work, but for some reason it does. Those two men that messaged the general of the Salvation Army, they messaged back just a little while later. They said, we tried tears and we had a revival. They were in the same location. They tried for years to do things, but when they tried tears, they had a revival. You want to see outcome? You want to see results? Why don't you try some tears? I can testify I tried it for just a little while. A guy had spent years trying to get back to church. Came back to church. 2,500 miles away from him. Not a word said to him about three years. And he shows back up the next Sunday. Not saying it was only me praying for him. I know my pastor was praying for him as well. But it just so happened that I prayed a week before. And that week later, his wife and his two sons get back. And he prayed back through to the Holy Ghost. Church, don't you think it's time to try tears? Don't you think it's time to just maybe push your logic aside for a second and stop trying to, you know, convince them over conversation, over a cup of coffee, and why don't you just try some tears? I promise you it's not logical. But when you do it, you will see results. I can promise you that. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much.